live the majority of our lives outside of this room, but sometimes we wait till Sunday to let our love bloom. Inside the walls, we sing Jesus' praise, but outside the walls, do we live his ways? Or do we put up blinders to protect our sight? Oh, I can't look down at those sinners, only up at the light. Do we stay huddled in our cliques, afraid to break away? Or do we look for someone different and smile and say, hey, not gibberish of thou's and thee's in our fluent Christianese, but real talk to that single mom who needs a friend, or that guy we work with who has a boyfriend. For God so loved not only me and you, but every single one of these different people. People who, when we look back to when we were found, look an awful lot like me and you. They might not dress like us, or talk like us, or act like us, but I'm betting they go through life and they sometimes fall down like us. And they don't need to hear how far down they've fallen. They need to hear that they are called and they are chosen, that they are loved with a love that can make their lives change. And we can show them that love. We just need to engage. So awesome. So awesome. Can you just say thank you to Hannah for sharing that? I love her so much. She's so amazingly talented and beautiful. It kind of makes me nauseous. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love you. Um, Engage culture is what I get to talk about this morning. And I'm so excited to be able to share with you guys. Um, You know, when we talk about engaging culture, I grew up in the church. So this was the tagline for, you know, a youth group. Be in the world, but not of it. Who's heard that before? Right? So how how are you a part of something? How do you engage in something without being a part of it? How do you, how are you in it, but not a part of it? How are you in it, but you don't let it influence you? And I want to talk about how do we engage culture as a church? You know, um, I'm a mom, I have five kids and my oldest daughter, she's 15, almost 16, which is a little, a little scary. She's going to drive soon. So let's uh, pray her dad teaches her, not me. So I'm, I'm already like, I can't count the days until you have a license because you will be my taxi. You know, with the oldest of five, there's a lot of places I have to be at one time. So if I can divide that up between the two of us, like we'll get some, we'll get further faster. So I'm like counting the days until she can get her license. But as, you know, as a mom of a 15 year old, you know, um, she has this, this guy she likes, his name is Harry Styles and she's got posters and and f- videos, and it's all over her phone and her Facebook. And, and so if I was the kind of mom that didn't want to engage in what she loves, I would have no idea who that was. And some of you have no idea who that is, and that's okay. Unless you have a 15-year-old daughter, then it's okay. You don't have to know. He's a singer of some boy band, and, you know, it's the same way I was when I was her age. But a part of my job is to engage with my children to love what they love, Right? to know what they love, to know what, what, um, what they're into, to know the kind of things that they listen to. They, you know, I had to, um, 
I had to get stronger on my Twitter game because, um, you know, Chris and Carly are super like social media. They're ba- they're better at it than I am. And they're like, do you watch your daughter's Twitter? She is crazy and not in a bad way. Cause she's amazing. And there's nothing, she would never do anything bad, but she's just very funny and quirky. And so I was like, I better get stronger on my Twitter game so I can catch up with my daughter, you know? So I'm like getting on my Twitter now trying to learn how to use it. Cause it's, I don't know. It makes me feel old that I don't know how to use that. But, um, cause all of us, we we're good with Facebook, but then like you add, add all these different things. And so, um, but I want to engage with my daughter. I want to be relevant to who she is. I want to be able to know what she loves. I want to be able to, um, be able to speak into areas of her life that I am actually knowledgeable about that. I actually have taken the time to learn about. And so I get to, I want to talk about that this morning, our job as a church, what is our role in engaging culture? So I'm going to start with a couple scriptures, if we can get those ready. Um, Isaiah 16.5, it says, A new government of love will be established in the venerable David tradition. A ruler you can depend on will head this government. A ruler passionate for justice. A ruler quick to set things right. It's Jesus. Our government is a government of love, and it looks like Jesus. That's our job to engage, our role to engage culture. Um, go to the next verse really quick, Matthew 13, 33. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. So I believe our job as a church, is to advance the kingdom, right? And the kingdom looks like something. It looks like Jesus, and it looks like love. So our job as a church is, it, is to advance the kingdom of love. And, and it looks like a little tiny bit of yeast, but as, as it explodes, it permeates and fills the whole earth. Amen? So, um... Our love, our government of love, and there will be no end to it. There will be no end to this, this thing that is happening in the earth. So I, I looked at three ways of how we do this. How do we engage culture and let the love of God permeate our, um, our communities? And the first one is my life. It's my life story. It's who I am. It's what I do. And it's um, just if you want to put number one up, it is to just be real. Like Hannah was talking about in, um, in her spoken word, like if we just lived authentically, take off the masks of churchianity and be who we were born to be, that changes the world. It changes everything. People don't want a facade. They want authenticity. Let me tell you, the world is so full of fake and phony. We don't want any more of it. You know, this next generation is so desiring for something real. There's this statistic that um, the generation that's right kind of below me, I don't don't really want to admit that, that there's a generation that comes after me, but I will. um, The 20-somethings are leaving the church in mass and mass quantity. 
And you know what? I don't think that that's what they're doing. I think they're leaving what we've called church for so long because they're desiring relationship and real. They're desiring something. So they're meeting in homes and coffee shops because they're tired of the hierarchy and the structures that church has laid out. And they're looking for real people to live real lives and show them what it looks like. They're not leaving the church. They're not leaving Jesus. They're just looking for something that's real. Our job, our role is to be real, to be the real. Let the disconnect between, let the disconnect be not of what I really look like and and what I put out there. Let there not be a disconnect in that. Let's pull it together. And what, what we live is who we are. Let's live who we are from the inside. You know, I think it's so funny because you ever, um, you're in like a prayer meeting and then all of a sudden somebody starts praying, their voice changes, the inflection of their voice changes. And they're all of a sudden speaking in a, like this weird kind of funky language. And you're like, what are they saying? And it's almost like we have a prayer meeting and we have to talk differently to the people in our prayer meeting and differently to God than who we really are. You know, I don't know about you, but some of my most freeing moments with the Lord, some of my most trying, pressing um, places where I've received the most freedom are moments where I'm with God and I'm just me. Like, God, this sucks. And I don't understand what's happening. And I don't understand why this looks like this. But you've got to, like, do something now. Or I don't know, I might lose my mind. Like, I have had these moments with God where I'm so honest with my heart. But those moments have led to the most authentic freedom I've ever experienced. Because something happens when you're real. We've put on these... um, these masks, and we're not even honest with ourselves sometimes with who we really are. You know, I, I've, I've preached this so many times, but I'll never stop talking about it. Because when we decided, and really when my husband decided to plant a church, and I went kicking and screaming until God checked me in my heart, I decided that I wasn't going to be somebody that was unrelatable, untouchable, distant from people. Because it's all I ever knew. And I, I want women in my life that I can love their mess and love their perfection. Because I need both. I need, I need women in my life that will say, I just don't know how to do this. But I can do this. And being real with, with who you are. You know, I love, I love talking to ladies about just real life stuff. Like my kids aren't perfect. My house ain't always clean. You know, I'm not always doing what I'm supposed to do a hundred percent of the time, but I'm working and I'm living and I'm real and I'll talk about it. I'll be honest about it. So with it, my struggles, we can walk with, we can walk together Because in my struggle, you might have the key to my victory. And in my victory, I might have the key to your struggle. But if we're not real, then there's nobody that's going to get free. We just have to be honest and real and live so authentically. See, living from the heart, we talk 
sometimes about, oh, I'm going to live from the heart and, and I'm going to, you know, guard. We say these things like guard my heart or live from the heart. You know what? Until they become an action, it's just a word. And the words never set people free. Actions do. See, if I say I'm going to be real and live from my heart, then I'm going to do it. And it looks like something. Love looks like something. So our culture can't change without living authentically. It just can't. Um, The next thing is, number two, is be relational. Um, I, we have just decided early on, what does it look like to really do life with people, right? Because if Jesus is our example, then ministry looks like living life with people. Jesus lived life with 12 people for three years. And then Pete came across people that he encountered and got free. And, and then they lived life with people. And so what does that really look like to be relational? You know, Zach talked the past couple of weeks about real discipleship only comes out of relationship. You can't make disciples without being relational. You can't make disciples without relationships. We've believed that we can do this Christian thing, evangelism thing, all by myself. I don't need anybody, just me and Jesus. Well, you need people or you'll be in deception. You need relationship. You know, relationship's the only thing that keeps us out of deception. The only thing that keeps us out of deception is relationship. And like Zach said it last week, if you don't have somebody that can question your God told me, then you've become your own God and you've fallen into deception completely. So you need people in your life. We need it. We need relationship. I need you. You need me. We need each other. We can't make this happen without each other. We can't do this thing, this life, engaging our culture, changing our community, changing our city. We can't do it without each other. And every community of, of people of God, they need they need to have this life where they live together relationally, and then they can go and reproduce it. Um, I have some examples in uh, Luke chapter 19. Um, Jesus encountered a tax collector, and um, he said, repent of all your sins and be converted. No, that's not what he said. It's tricking you. He said, I'm going to come and eat with you. I'm going to come and sit with you, Zacchaeus. I'm going to come to your house. And when everybody looked at that situation and said, what is Jesus doing? How could he sit with a tax collector? They're thieves. You know what he said? I will give everything I have to the poor. I will give it all away. I will repay everything I stole. From sitting down and having a relationship. See, kindness leads to relationship that leads to repentance. It leads to freedom. In John chapter four, Jesus met a woman at the well and he began to tell her that she's a, a prostitute or a whore or an adulterer. And, and then he said, if you don't repent, nothing's going to happen. No, that's not what happened. That's not what he did. He talked to her. He engaged in conversation cared about where she was at and he ministered love and light and truth in a gentle way that brought her into freedom 
And our whole city was saved in a day. When you get to know people, you get to know where they come from. You know their story. We'll never impact our community with lasting fruit without engaging in relationship and understanding people's story and where they come from. We have to know where they're at. Know their heart. Have a conversation with them. I love this um, new wave of of outreach, you know, I love what God is doing in the body of Christ and you just see it. And it's instead of having these mass, you know, outreaches where we just, um, feed people for a day or, or in, in those work sometimes, but we have these, um, these movements in the body of Christ, these grassroots movements where people are just going two by two out talking, starting conversations. How are you? reintroducing what love looks like, reintroducing what Jesus looks like. No, he doesn't condemn you. He loves you. We are introducing what the body of Christ is supposed to be, a movement of the people of God, so full of the love of Jesus that they can't help but live it out loud. I love what's happening in the body of Christ that way. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. I remember about eight years ago, I read this book about this young man who was raised in the church in a, a upper middle class home, and, and he, he didn't understand what it meant to be homeless, so he literally, he gave his parents all of his credit cards, all of his money, all of his bank accounts, and he chose to live homeless for years on the streets because he just, he wanted to know what it was like. And he wrote a book, and I remember reading story after story about how all he did was talk to people about their story. How'd you get this way? How'd you... What happened? Just hearing the life, the spiraling life, that just circumstances create this whirlwind and people find themselves broken and hurting and, and they don't have any answers and they don't have any hope until somebody finds them and gives them the answer and the hope. It's Jesus. And I just remember being so moved, not that I would ever do that because I wouldn't. But, you know, me and Jesus have that relationship because... He also doesn't wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning because he knows I won't pray. So, thank you, Jesus. Um, but I just, I, I know that what God wants to do is, is relationship. Freedom comes from relationship. Being real, because I can't have a relationship without authenticity. You just can't. It's called surface, and it's called not depth, and it's the same relationship I have with the lady that barely speaks English that might do my nails. I mean, like, let's be honest. That's the kind of relationships we've said are okay in the church. These surface, no depth of relationship where we put on a mask and everything's all right. We never learn to live life with people and bear each other's burdens because we don't know how to be honest with ourselves. But out of that comes real relationships. The depth of relationship that is so necessary. Um, the third thing I want to go to is um, be responsible. So be real, have relationships, and be responsible. We have to take ownership in our communities. Matthew uh, 28 talks about how we're called to be disciples of the nations. Now, you might not be called to go overseas, or you might not be called to, to minister in crusades, but you're called to your neighbor. You're called to your family. If your kids go to school, you're called to that school. 
You have a job, you're called to that job. Where you go is where you're called. So we have to be, be responsible, take responsibility, take ownership. You know, the early church had this um, belief, and, um, and I don't, you know, I don't, um, I don't think that's accurate to us today, but I think that if we get the heart of what they believed, they said, if a child starved of hunger and we had extra bread on our table, we carry that responsibility of that child in our life. They had an ownership of their community. They took ownership of what happened in their community. They took ownership of the broken in their community, the hurting. Do we know what's going on out, out there? Do we know what's going on on our streets? You know, I heard a statistic because sometimes all we hear is negativity. And um, I really like positive stuff, so I don't ever put the news on because I don't care. I just want to hear what God's doing in the earth. You know, um, abortion overall has dropped 12%. It's completely illegal. Most of the time can be paid for, and you can have it up until your last trimester. But it's dropped 12% overall. You know what that tells me? Hearts of people are changing. God is moving in the earth, and our hearts are changing. See, we're not going to change our... We're not going to... change the world by electing another politician. We're going to change the world by understanding who we are as Christians, getting the love of God in our heart and knowing that it's like dough. It's like the leaven of dough, one life at a time, one heart at a time. And then it just grows and grows and grows until it permeates the whole earth and nobody can stop it. Because the Bible says he'll build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That means his government will increase until there's no end. Till you can't see anybody else but the love of God and invading every heart and every life. The government of love will have no end. He's building his church. He's advancing his kingdom and we get to be a part of it. When we choose to be responsible. Taking ownership, you know. John chapter 8, there was a woman caught in adultery. And Jesus walked up and picked up rocks and stoned her with everybody else. That's not what he did. He stood before her accusers and fought for the justice of heaven. And the justice of heaven says, I don't condemn you. punishment that was due you I don't condemn you it goes away and they all dropped their rocks and then he looked at her and he said go and he gave her the power and said don't sin anymore that's justice that's responsibility that's standing up for justice in our cities our job is to defend the orphan the widow and the oppressed See, culture is a way of life, and you can't change an existing way of life with just preaching or just words. It has to be changed with relational discipleship and taking ownership of our cities. I, 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 um, I don't like the culture of church that, that just says, let's just have another meeting and, and bring another speaker. And you guys understand we love church. We love conferences. We breathe it. It's who we are because... We just love that kind of stuff. But I don't like the idea that that's what changes a city. No, that's what changes people's hearts to go change their city. You know, um, 
we partnered with this outreach and um, and we had the privilege of of you kind of hosting some of it and and um, you know and I I begin to think and there was probably uh, thirty people here at the church that um, that were from all over the world that came here to minister to um, to minister at this once a year event that happens in Las Vegas and I told my husband I said where's all the people that live here? No criticism. Just I just wondered, because I didn't go out to the outreaches. I didn't. But I was just wondering, like, where's all the people that have a heart for our city? What are we willing to do? What's it going to take for us? You know, I think sometimes we, we live in this awesome city called Las Vegas, and we have the best food, Everything's open all the time. Um, you know, I remember my, my kids talking. We went out. I think we were in C, uh We like to go up to Sedona to take trips. It's just beautiful. Just beautiful. The stars shine brighter in Sedona because you're higher. Oh, gosh. But I remember it was like, I don't know, maybe 10 o'clock at night, and the kids wanted Oreos or something, and there's not a store open at 10 o'clock at night. My kids are like, they have no concept of what it means for something to close. So we live in Las Vegas. We live in this city that never sleeps. We live in the only city that millions and millions of people come here every day to party. Like the only city in the earth that has as much of the nations come here. There's no other city like that. The whole world, the globe, comes to Las Vegas for a mile there's a mile of it, of a street. Where are we? Where are we? I, I'm preaching to myself, okay? Because I'm at home. Where are we when our city is crying out for something real? We've given up the responsibility. Sometimes we give up our responsibility by not taking responsibility. We give up our own call. We've given it up and we've allowed the other people that stand with hateful signs to preach hell and damnation when we have the love of God that sets them free. We take responsibility. So how do we engage our culture? Being real and authentic developing relationships, and taking ownership and responsibility. I'm going to close with the scripture. You can go ahead and start playing, Phoebe. In Matthew chapter 10, so good in the message, it says, the prayer was no sooner prayed than it was answered, and the prayer was the heart of Jesus looking on the multitudes and, and groaning inside of himself and saying, he was moved in, with compassion. And he said, the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. And then he answered his own cry and prayer with laborers. The prayer was no longer was no sooner prayed than it was answered, and Jesus called twelve of his followers and sent them into the ripe fields. Our city is ripe. Our homes are ripe. Our communities are ripe. Our churches, our schools, they're ripe for the harvest. He gave them power to kick out the evil spirits and to tenderly care for the bruised and hurt lives. 
Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out with this charge. And this is what I want you to get this morning. Don't begin by traveling to some, so- some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here. The kingdom of love, the kingdom of Jesus that has no end. Bring health to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment, church. You are the equipment. You have everything you need. Woo. And all you need to keep going is three meals a day. Travel light. Jesus. I take ownership of my city. Take ownership of the hurting and the broken. I break off every every unrealistic expectation, but I also break off that shell and that that lie that culture gives me that I have to be somebody different than who I was created to be. God, I choose to be me. You only made me. You made one of me. You made one Rochelle and I will be her. I won't be anybody else. I'm not going to try to fill anybody else's shoes. I'm going to fill my shoes. I'm going to love my children. I'm going to love my church. I'm going to love my city. God, you've called me and I say yes. I say yes. I just speak to every heart in this room. There's only one of you. There's only one of you and we need you. The world needs you. The world needs you. The world needs you fully alive. So I speak freedom to every heart in this room. You're free to be who God made you. You're free to live out love out loud. Out loud. Can you just lift your hands up? Or if you want to stand, if you want to kneel, if you want to just come up here. Do something you want you want to do.
God has already shown you in the night. God has given you dreams of people groups and areas and communities. And all you have to do is say yes. You needed this word. You don't need anything. You need you. The world just needs you. Just you. You have this heart. Take his heart to the nations. Take his heart to whatever you're called to. Surrender to Jesus. Yeah. We say yes, God. We say yes, God. We say yes. Remember hearing a story about Heidi Baker? And she was in a service and she saw Jesus come to her. And I'm going to mess up the story, so I'm not going to tell it. But I just, this is what I remember. What I want you to hear. She prayed and cried on her face. She said, until there was no more no inside of her. And all she could say was yes. Jesus. My heart. you first love me I'm not afraid to love anymore I'm not afraid to love the broken cause you first love me called you to. And and I want to say this. If all he's called you to is your family, it's huge. Don't despise it. Say yes to that. Jesus, we say yes. We say yes. We will be leaven in the kingdom. of love in your kingdom. And it will increase all over the world. All over the world. All over the world. <laughs> Tell 